So that's Colossians 2, 6 to 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted up and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, tri triumphing over them by the cross. Good morning, everyone. So we are currently in the Fullness in Jesus vision series, and our vision is this. Our vision for us and our city is that we find fullness in Jesus by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living for Jesus. It's all about Jesus because in Him is where we find the fullness of life. And so today we're going to look at how a part of finding our fullness in Jesus is becoming like Jesus, identifying with Him and living like Him. We often hear people describe their conversion to Christianity with words like this, I've invited Jesus into my heart. But as we begin to understand that Christianity is about God being in us through the Holy Spirit and us in God, as we looked last Sunday, we begin to understand that it's in fact that it is Jesus who invites us into his heart. See, Christianity is less about us accepting Jesus into your life and more about Jesus accepting you into his life. And when we are in Jesus, when we are, when we are in his life, it is inescapable for our lives to begin to change and to become like him. If the gospel is about Jesus accepting us into his life, then the Christian life is about being transformed to reorientate our life to be about his life. And the Bible passages that we're going to look at today shows that it is impossible, impossible to be in Jesus and not become like Jesus. Have you heard the saying, you are the average of the five people you're surrounding yourself with? Have you heard of that saying? It's probably uh, very popular in uh, management circles. Um, but it's pretty common sense, isn't it? That indeed you are influenced by the people around you. So how much more is it inevitable for you to become like Jesus when he doesn't just surround you, but he's in you by the Holy Spirit, empowering you to live a new life? And so where we're going to go in this talk is we're going to start at Colossians chapter 2, but we're not going to stay there. We're going to go to a few different places in the Bible uh, that begins to speak about the Christian life as being in the fullness of Jesus. And then we're going to trace how being in the fullness of Jesus through other Bible passages naturally flows out to becoming more and more like Jesus. And I'll have the Bible passage up on the screen just to make 
it easier to follow. So let's start at Colossians chapter 2, which describes how when we receive Christ, we are raised to new life in the fullness of Jesus Christ. So verse 6, so then it is as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthening in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See, the language of here, receiving Christ Jesus, it does sound like inviting Jesus into your life, doesn't it? But notice one little detail. It's receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. So receiving Jesus into your life is about submitting our life to Jesus' good and loving rule, which is why we're encouraged to continue to live our lives in him, to be rooted in him, to be built up in him, to let Jesus shape our thinking, direct our actions and guide our lives. See, the theological term for being in Jesus is union with Christ. And so when we have uh, Jesus received in our lives, something spiritual happens. The Holy Spirit comes into us and it unites us to Jesus spiritually. The New Testament writer speaks of this union with Christ in terms of fullness. So if you go down to verse 9 of, chapter two, of that passage, it says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So when Christ came to earth, he wasn't just 50% God and 50% man when he became incarnated as a man. He wasn't 50% God and 50% man. He was God fully and man fully. So when we are in Christ, we're not in 50% of God. We are in God fully. We share in Jesus in all that he is and that all that he has won for salvation. So how do we receive this fullness? Well, if you follow the next couple of verses, Paul explains in verses 11 to 13. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, <coughs> in which you were also raised with him through faith in the, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The Apostle Paul is describing what the Holy Spirit does in uniting us to Jesus. So circumcision. Circumcision was an Old Testament Jewish way of being accepted into God's people. That was the mark of being accepted into God's people. But Christ circumcises us in a way that's not physical, not performed by human hands, to accept us as his people. So how and when does he do this? How? He does it by the Holy Spirit. When? Well, Paul says in baptism at the point of being spiritually buried with Christ and raised with him. See, baptism is a shorthand way of saying being with Jesus in dying to your old self of sin and being raised to new life when Jesus rose again. So how are you baptised then? Paul says it's through your faith. So to summarise, when you have faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to you and then you are spiritually united to Jesus in his death to die to your old self and your spirit united to Jesus in his resurrection to live a new life of obedience. It is in the dying of Jesus and being raised with Jesus that you are then circumcised, accepted into God's family. And so this is a new revolutionary way of coming 
into a relationship with God that only Jesus brings. It's by faith that you're accepted. And it's by faith that you die to your old self of sin and you're raised to the newness of life. And so water baptism is not the thing that unites you to Jesus. Water baptism is the visible sign. It's a ceremony that signifies to this spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit that comes by faith. So it is the faith that saves you and brings you into the life of Jesus. And this faith is not something that you earn to give to God in exchange for this new life in Jesus. Even our faith is something that God produces. Because if you read in verse 12, Paul says, through your faith in the working of God, when you were dead in your sins and you were uncircumcised of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. See, whilst we were still sinners, whilst we still had no regard for God, God in his grace worked in us to produce faith so that we would believe that Jesus forgave us of all of our sins. To, as what verse 7, 14 says, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness. It's talking about sin. So it's by grace, through faith, that we're saved, not any good thing that we do. It's all by grace. And Jesus saves us by forgiving our sins. But the thing is, forgiveness of things is just the start, you can say. Forgiveness is just the entrance to a new life in Jesus. Because forgiveness is just the door into being what Paul says, being alive with Christ. So let me give you a bad illustration. It's bad because it doesn't quite capture what we get in Jesus, what it means to be alive, but I'll give it because I think it's a bit simpler to understand. So say, for example, you got into a car accident and it's your fault. And the person whose car you hit can either get you to pay for the cost of damages because it's your fault, or they can forgive you and they can cancel the debt you owe for the damages. And say, for the example, the person does forgive you and you're like, that's incredible. You no longer owe a debt to that person. But you're still driving around this bunged up car. It's not nice, but hey, you're thankful because you're being forgiven of your debt. With Jesus, he doesn't just forgive your sin. He doesn't just wipe away the debt of your sin. Jesus forgives your sins and he also gives you a new car to drive so you don't have to do life with this bunged up car. Jesus doesn't forgive your sins so that you go back to square one. No, he gives you more. He gives you his life. He gives you his righteousness. He gives you his status as the kingdom of God. He gives you eternal life as the eternal son of God. He gives you victory over sin and death as a conqueror of sin and Satan. In Christ, he gives you more than forgiveness. That is why Paul says Christians have overflowing thankfulness. Again, overflowing is another language around fullness. Actually, it's not even full, it's more than full. It's overflowing. So if I was to give a definition of Christian fullness, it would be something along these lines. Fullness of life is being in the fullness of God, shown by who Jesus Christ is and what he has won in salvation. Fullness of life is being in God, shown by the fullness of who Jesus Christ is and what he has won in salvation. Because being a Christian is more than just being forgiven, it's receiving a new life. 
in the fullness of Jesus as God in his righteousness, with his status, with his eternal life, with his victory. And those are just to name a few things of who Jesus is and what he has done to win salvation for us. So Christians are not just forgiven, they are united to Christ in the fullness of God. The Apostle Paul in this letter to of Colossians then goes on to show that our being in Christ naturally leads us to being more and more like Christ. Paul instructs to us that we who are in Christ will continue to be more like him. So if you go to chapter 3, if you flip over a, a, maybe a page or two in your, in your Bibles, we read from the start of chapter 3. I've also got it up if you don't have a Bible. It says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. So notice what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying, put to death sinful things, otherwise God will punish you. He doesn't say that, does he? There's no word of punishment. Paul is not motivating Christians to live holy lives with the threat of God because you're raised to new life. Therefore, seek to live holy lives. Seek things above because that is who you are now in Christ. Don't go back to your old way of living. You've got a better life in Christ. So be who you are in Christ. Paul is motivating Christians not to live holy lives with identity, not punishment. It's living holy out of identity, not punishment. So for example, let me an example of parenting. So Tristan is at a time where he's starting to hit other kids and it's not very nice. And he's starting to learn how to share his things with other people. And so when Tristan, for example, hits another kid, I can motivate him to do the right thing with a bit of punishment. I can say, hey, Tristan, if you hit someone again, then I'm going to take away your toy. You're not going to be able to play with it, a bit of punishment. Or I can take a different approach. I can say, Tristan, when you hit someone, look, that is a very selfish and unloving thing, isn't it? But that's not who you are. I don't think you're selfish and unloving. I know that you're a kind and generous boy. So you should share your toys because that is how you show that you are kind and generous. And look, I know parenting young children is never that easy, right? It's a whole lot messier. But hopefully you can get the point. Motivating with punishment is motivation by fear. Whereas motivating with identity is motivation by affirmation. Be affirmed that this is who you are, so live like him. So if you're here today and this is new to you, and if you've been told to you that Christianity is about obeying God's commands and rules in order to be saved, in order to escape punishment, and you felt judged with that Christian perspective, then I'm really, really sorry. Because that is not Christianity. 
The message of Jesus is that you are saved, then you obey. You don't obey and then you're saved. You're saved by grace through Jesus by dying on the cross. Then you obey in response to your salvation. You obey in God's love. You obey in God's security. You don't obey in order to earn God's love, to earn God's security. The theological term of growing to live holy lives in Jesus is sanctification. So from this passage, there are two applications about Christian sanctification. First, sanctification is motivated by our identity in Christ, not guilt and punishment. And if sanctification is motivated by our identity in Christ, then sanctification is about being like Jesus, not being moral. We read also in Romans 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, many are attracted to Christianity because they want to have good morals. But as we've seen, Christianity is more than just having good morals. Christianity is about saving people and transforming them to be like Jesus to become like God. It's more than just being a good citizen, it's about living as a citizen of heaven. And it's because of all this, of who we are, that is the thing that motivates us to no longer sin. Rory Shiner says it really well. He says, only greater acquaintances with the privileges of Christ can, we, can free us from the snares of sin. So the proper approach to overcoming sin is to not to ratchet up our guilt, but to claim our identity as those united in Christ. It is God's gracious work to bring us to faith and be united to Jesus, but it's also God's gracious work to make us become more like him through the Holy Spirit and God's word. We looked at this passage last week, John 14, 26 says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will empower you to become like Jesus by teaching us God's word, affirming us of who we are in Christ from the Bible, and from that, that compels us to live a life of obedience to God's word. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the miraculous thing that it is God who does all of that for us. But we're not completely passive in this process of becoming like Jesus. We also play an active role in learning and applying the Bible to our lives, being active in the role of putting death to sin in order that we might live holy lives. Philippians 2 says it like this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So it is in God who works in us to make us become more like Jesus, but we also to work out how that plays out in our day-to-day lives. We don't work for our salvation, we work out our salvation. In other words, we don't save ourselves and we don't make ourselves holy. God saves us and he makes us holy, but we are to be actively living out our salvation, living out our holiness, so that those who are in Christ spiritually, we might realize the holiness more and more practically in our daily lives. 
Now, before I go on to explain how we actually do this at Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill, how we work out our holiness, I want to touch on an important aspect of the process of being like Jesus. And it's the role of suffering in becoming like Jesus. The Bible tells us very openly that to become like Jesus, we also need to become like Jesus in his suffering. Philippians chapter 3 says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, if you sign up to Christianity as being about becoming more like Jesus and not about being a moral person, then you sign up to being experiencing suffering like Jesus. If we want to follow a God who suffers for others, it is only natural that we accept suffering in our lives as a way to become more like Jesus. There's so much that we can talk about suffering, can't we? But if we just to look at the relationship of suffering and becoming like Jesus, then suffering can take you down two directions in life. There's nothing that can cause you to lose heart like suffering, but neither can anything else lead you into God's heart like suffering. Has that been your experience? There's nothing that can cause you to lose heart like suffering, but neither can anything else lead you into God's heart like suffering. It's like a sailboat in a storm. It's terrifying to be in a storm. But in storms, it's in those times that we can sail the fastest and the furthest. And when you're disorientated in a storm, you can be taken further and further off course. But if you hold fast to your navigation, if you set your sails and your mast to your target destination, a storm can propel you faster, move hundreds of kilometers further in a storm in the night, a lot quicker than the sunny days of smooth sailing. In the same way, the storms of life can take you off course or it can lead you closer to God. If God is on your horizon, it can lead you closer to God. Suffering can be a shortcut towards that destination. And it's a shortcut that no one would ever choose. But looking back, there are only a few who will trade it for where it has brought them. And if you're in the middle of a storm right now, I can understand that it's hard to see how you might be moving closer to God. If that's you, what you need to know most is that you're not alone. Christ is in you, he is in you, and you are in him. You are not alone. But the Bible promises that in suffering, followers of Jesus are led into God's heart. In our pain and suffering, whatever that might be, we get to somehow know God in an experiential way. To know what it would have been like to suffer and die on a cross in obedience. To know what it's like to be physically afflicted. To know what it's like to be afflicted by another's sin. To know what it's like to be abandoned. To know what it's like to obey in pain. See, the Bible speaks of this uncanny ability to experience joy in the midst of suffering. How is this possible? 
Well, the joy is being able to empathize with Jesus in his suffering and knowing that Jesus is able to empathize with you because he has suffered too. See, this joy is finding a kind of kindred spirit, you can say, with Jesus. You know how they say difficult, common experiences can bring people closer together? Well, it's the same with us and Jesus. God uses suffering never ever to punish us, but to bring us back to himself, back to his own heart. And when we know that suffering can't mean that God doesn't love us, well, suffering can spur us on to keep drawing that stale, keep drawing near to God, even when we are confused or disappointed and may feel like pulling away. So what are the practical things we do to help each other to become like Jesus in our church community? Well, the main way we grow to become like Jesus is to meet in community groups. Community groups are regular meetings where our church can meet in smaller groups to study and apply the Bible with the goal of personal change to become more like Jesus. Community groups are safe places where you can be honest and vulnerable about your life, But honesty and vulnerability isn't the goal. The goal is not to just to listen to each other. The goal is also to listen to God and be affirmed of who we are in Jesus, to encourage one another to grow and live out our identity in Christ. And we need each other to do this. I like to say that becoming like Jesus is not personal development, it's community development. Because we are united to Jesus, not individually, We united Jesus as a body, as a church community. And how we foster Bible studies that drive towards change, obedience, actions in becoming more like Jesus, rather than just knowing the Bible intellectually without any life change, uh, we do Bible studies in a way that we call the four moments. And you might have picked up the little book card in the bulletin. If you flip over, you can see that we study in the part the Bible passage that's been preached on study by discussing these four talking points. God, what do we learn about God and my relationship with Him? Vision, how am I to change the way I see the world? Love, how am I to challenge with the things I love? Life, how am I to change the way I live? And these are open-ended questions designed to get people discussing how the passage might apply to their lives so they could change to become more like Jesus. To support our community groups, we're actually doing something new this year. It's a podcast called Tackling the Text. So we've recognised that there are parts of the Bible that are more difficult to understand. And when we don't fully understand the text, then it can be really hard to think of ways to apply the text. So to fill the gap, the staff team, Luke, Kevin and I, we're going to produce a weekly podcast where we're going to sit around and informally discuss the Bible passage that is going to preach on Sunday. We're going to discuss all those tricky words in the passage. We're going to discuss the historical and literary context of the passage. And we're also going to share openly how we might personally apply the passage to our own lives. So instead of having to read a big fat commentary, you can just listen to tackling the text. A week before the sermon's preached, hear the sermon preached on Sunday, and then hopefully you'll be equipped fully to apply the passage in your community groups. We hope that's going to be a very helpful resource, not for just our community group leaders, but for everyone in church, 
to build up their skills, build up their confidence in reading the Bible for themselves. So to wrap up, how do we apply what we've learned from today's talk right into our community groups? Well, firstly, if the gospel of Jesus Christ motivates us to be like Jesus, not through fear, but through affirmation of our new identity, Jesus, then our community groups are to be places where we are to encourage growth, change, and becoming more like Jesus through encouragement and affirmation from the Bible. Not through a sense of fear. And you may not fear God's punishment because you understand that God saves you by grace, but perhaps you might be driven to grow in obedience out of perhaps a fear of missing out. Missing out of his presence or missing out on um, something good in his purposes in his life. Or you might fear what other, pe- other people think of you. You might be driven to obey because you're afraid of what other people might think of you. But God never drives change from a place of worry or anxiety. God drives change from a place of love and security. Self-awareness of our sins and failures and what's lacking in our lives is healthy to give us a stock take, to compel us for our need for God, our need for change. But dwelling on what is lacking isn't going to bring about powerful and lasting change. But dwelling on what we already have, on who we already are in Christ, the fullness that we already have in Him, that is the way that the Holy Spirit will empower us us to experience powerful and lasting change. Secondly, community groups are places where tears are welcomed. We follow a God who suffered And so it's expected that God's church experiences suffering. A church that does not acknowledge suffering as normative in the Christian life is not only out of touch with reality, it's out of touch with God. Suffering is not something that we want to welcome, but suffering is something that we can deal with confidently. Because in the sovereign power and the grace of Jesus Christ, He doesn't allow our suffering to take us further away from God Instead, Jesus uses our suffering to drive us closer to God. Therefore, community groups are places where people can open up about their difficulties, their pains. People can shed their tears freely. And we can deal with that because those tears are not without hope. Our suffering is never pleasant, but it's never without purpose. Suffering doesn't mean we're off track with our God. Suffering shows that we are indeed on the right path towards the cross. Psalm 56 tells us that God counts each of our tears. And there's this reflection on this psalm that really struck me this week that I want to share and close with. The reflection says this, These tears, each one of them will be counted, and each one of them will water and make soft the harder ground of our hearts. Each tear will fall like rain on the arid land and will one day produce a harvest of peace that could only have grown in this way. Let's pray, let's pray that our community groups would be a place where tears are welcomed and that we are affirmed on who we are in Christ. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that it is by grace 
we are not only forgiven, but we are brought into the very nature and person of God. That in Jesus Christ, we experience the fullness of who he is, the righteous one, the eternal one, the victorious one. Father, we pray that as we continue to live our lives riddled with sin and inflicted with pain, help us to never give up hope. Help us to see the true spiritual realities of who we are. That in every circumstance, we have the fullness of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.